problem is the fire doesn't behave the same because uh, the building's non-combustible. There's no voids, uh, void spaces for the fire to expand and, and to grow in, and that gets a lot of people in trouble. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Today we're talking burn buildings. Probably the best simulated fires come from actual homes that are abandoned or about to be demolished. Setting them on fire for training can be pretty darn realistic, but most times those kind of houses just aren't available when you need them. So we use burn buildings, even though they have limitations. Here to discuss the limitations and how to overcome some of them is David Rhodes. David's got over three decades of fire service experience. He's the chief elder for the Georgia Smoke Diver Program, member of the FDIC Executive Advisory Board, as well as a hands-on training coordinator for FDIC. He's president of Rhodes Consultants Incorporated, which provides public safety training, consulting, and promotional assessment. And David Rhodes joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you. How are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. So, there are really just a couple of types of burn buildings, Class A and Class B. What can we learn in each one of them? Well, the Class A is typical concrete type or uh, metal structure that has the ability to burn wood pallets. Typically, you see the fire loads will be straw or hay and then uh wood pallets and these buildings are good for uh recruit training some repetition uh search training but they're very very limited in the types of uh fuel loads and all that we can put in that actually will mimic uh real conditions um as you know everything in our homes is pretty much made of plastic or has some type of glue in it and we've learned uh over the last few years really in depth with the ul studies that uh the fire loads just aren't what a lot of the textbooks were written to and uh definitely the pallets and the hay don't mimic the the fire load that is inside the the class a burn buildings and probably the biggest restriction is ventilation um ventilation doesn't doesn't affect the fire in the same ways that it, that it would if it was a vent limited fire that was too rich to burn in an actual structure fire. So a lot of times you pop open a window and you get some heat relief and and you you're building muscle memory to make you think that that's what you should do in a structure fire and uh, and that is not always the case. Most most often it's not the case. So Class A really is suited for the new firefighter, the probie, who just needs to get experience getting into a dark, dirty area with a line in their hands. 
That's right. The fire is really not realistic. Uh, obviously, you can add smoke to the building. That's a good place to stretch hose, practice your stretching and managing the corners and turns. But as far as the fire itself, um, it's 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 pretty unrealistic. Not totally invaluable, but it does create some false uh, sense of security there. And and ninety percent of the live fire instructors that you that you encounter in these type of buildings typically know that they got to have a good bed of coals. And so you give it a couple quick shots of water, and they're telling you to shut your line down. You know, don't put my fire out and then back out, and then the next group rotates. So, uh, unfortunately, we remember a lot more of what we do than what we than what we uh, read or, or what we're told. So, uh, if you're if you're new and you put two or three squirts of water on the fire, then what do you expect when you get to a real fire three or four months later on a on a crew? You're going to do the same thing. It takes a lot longer to put out a real fire. So, That's right. So then Class B, what can we learn in one of those? Well, the Class B, you can require uh, a little bit more flow because you control the fire with gas. Um, however, the heat is definitely not the same. Uh, the smoke generated in these are all typically uh, synthetic uh, smoke machine smoke, which is always a light white color. So, again, you're you're creating a uh, situation that doesn't really mimic reality. So you're not getting the, uh, you're not getting the situational awareness and, and cues being built up on your slide tray of the color of the smoke matching the conditions of the fire. Um, but you can do a little bit better of flowing because you can flow a lot more water. Um, so you do have a little bit of a, an advantage there. Disadvantage is, uh, heat conditions are not realistic and the fire reaction to the water is only as good as the operator of the building. Um, if it's an inexperienced operator, then they may shut the fire down too soon or they may let it go too long. And so, uh, um, it's, it's all, really up to the instructor you you can create some good stuff in either building but uh the biggest concern is the the lack of realism in the visual um cues that you create how do firefighters learn ventilation techniques in these artificial environments that are not all that realistic well usually they learn them incorrectly <laughs> that's a problem so uh, <laughs> um you can learn the 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 task of how to do it uh for instance if there's a roof prop you can uh you know obviously learn how to operate off of a roof ladder how to use the saw or how to punch through um with an axe the back of an axe or a sledgehammer but uh um you can also set up positive pressure and and move air through the building um obviously the air is going to move the same the same way as it would in any structure the problem is the fire doesn't behave the same because uh the building's non-combustible there's no voids uh void spaces for the fire to expand and and to grow in and that gets a lot of people in trouble when they're uh when they're doing a lot of like positive pressure ventilation in a burn building with just pallets burning uh, it works very well <laughs> but when you get in on the street uh 
you crank up that fan and start going and the next thing you know the whole attic's involved so uh and everybody scratches their head and wonders why there's also the fact that these buildings either don't have glass windows or if they do the instructor would prefer that you not bust them out right most of them have uh some type of closure whether it be uh, a metal plate or something like that um, I have seen some that use uh, curtain-type uh, devices that hang over the windows to give it a little better seal. But the buildings themselves are not really sealed like a uh, like a typical home would be. Uh, homes are extremely well-insulated, double-pane windows. Uh, people are using either uh, spray foam insulation in some cases and... Uh, you know, houses are so tight and sealed up these days that uh, even I have some friends that have them with the with the spray foam insulation. They have to open a window up just to get their fireplace to uh, actually draw. That's how tight they are. So it is easy for a fire to overwhelm the oxygen in a structure and become vent limited. And then by op- making an opening in the structure, of course, the 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 fire needs oxygen, and so it starts to um, gain intensity quite rapidly. Very, very difficult to recreate that in a burn building situation. Um, obviously, we do it in a flashover chamber, um, but that's a much smaller uh, box. What we're doing with the flashover chamber is taking a small area and we're overwhelming it with a fuel load. So what we're what we're hoping to do is identify what types of fuels will mimic uh, real conditions so that they can be used, especially in the Class A uh, burn building environment. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. There, of course, as I mentioned, is the actual house that's abandoned or ready to be torn down. Those can be used for training. They're not all that common, but assuming that one is available, is that the best bet? Well, I uh, certainly would push that as much as possible. There are some, uh, obviously, you have to meet in FBA 1403 and follow all the standards for water flow and fuel loading and stuff but it does it does actually create a a, a bit more realistic uh environment um we're hoping that with uh, additional research that we can uh identify fuel loads that will will mimic the fire behavior um at a lower intensity than an actual structure so we've looked at uh we've actually burned with a with a typical you know room load with a mattress carpet um formaldehydes and all that stuff that are in furniture is in there and so we've looked at different types of materials to burn one of the most common is what we use in the flashover chamber is like the uh the osb board because it has a lot of glue in it the key is 
to figure out exactly how much you need and what configuration it needs to be in so that you can can basically mimic the growth and the expansion of the fire without the danger of flashover and uh, collapse and things like that that you would have in a in a typical uh, acquired structure. Most people have gotten away from the acquired structures, um, which is unfortunate. And it's not so much uh, because of the the danger of the structure. It's more so meeting the standard and uh, complying with all the local regulations that are in place. Um, you may have to strip the shingles off. You, you have to do asbestos abatement. And there's just a lot of hoops that you have to jump, jump through in order to be able to train in those structures. And most people don't have the time and the resources to uh, pull it off. Whereas back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, and a little bit into the early 90s, it was pretty common. Most all fire departments were burning, you know, a house or two a month and uh, getting their guys through some training. Um, but typically, we're seeing that less and less in the urban setting and, and, uh, and, and only a few of the rural areas still seem to, to hold that as a, a mainstay for their training programs. With that in mind, then, would you say that today's firefighters, when they're still in that relatively new phase, are not trained as well for real life? I think so. I think uh, um, we've done a pretty good job at the uh, at the the basics of of all the you know whether it's the knots or the hose construction and and all that but where we're lacking is truly being able to see what the fire actually looks like how to uh interpret the the smoke how to interpret the fire conditions and how to predict what the fire might do next um there's a lot of good things out there that are uh are emerging uh simulation training is is certainly helping to fill the gap um for departments that are using that because they can use either actual video or they can use uh, um, movie studio quality uh, special effects to create different color smokes and and uh, and fire conditions in a building uh, the problem is you're not really seeing it from the inside most of the simulations you're taking a view from the outside so again it's it's good but it's not a uh, it's not an all encompassing uh, solution to to our problems. We still need to be able to see that uh, those conditions change from the inside and be able to predict what's going to happen. What's a realistic level of concern given that firefighters who learned this in the 80s are about ready to retire or retired? And we have a smaller number of structure fires for the new guys to learn on. So what's our level of concern that some of these guys in the next few years are going to get out there and find themselves a little confused and maybe get hurt? Yeah, we do see a lot of burn injuries from improper uh, flows, you know, not, not understanding the amount of gallons a minute that you need to put out the fire again doing techniques like uh penciling or spraying when it's not exactly the the time to do it uh you know 
we used to really, really um, be taught that you never flow water into smoke. And we know that that's totally incorrect now because there's um, tons of heat and, and could be fire above us. The advent of thermal imaging has helped us uh, be able to see that. Um, but, you know, if you want to break it down to the basics, uh, you need, when you get in the structure, you need to flow water and uh, um, not worry so much about the uh, the water damage and things like that that we used to be taught. Um, there needs to be water. The nozzle needs to be open. It needs to be constantly moving towards the seat of the fire and sweeping all the surfaces and areas and getting as much water contact on the material that we can to absorb the heat um, and slow down the, uh, the whole process. Uh, I think we can do some of the recognition stuff uh, through simulations and virtual reality and things like that that'll come along. They're pretty expensive right now, but um, as technology develops, I think we'll get, get a lot more use out of that. And in the meantime, I think uh, the focus, uh, one of the things I'm working on now with the uh, underwriter laboratory panels is trying to identify those fuel loads that we can put in the existing buildings, what the configuration of the buildings need to be so that we can uh, mimic conditions. We've had some really good success in our Georgia Smoke Diver program uh, in using combinations of pallets and OSB and hanging OSB um, and some different configurations. Obviously, the heat is not as um, much as it is in a, in a typical uh, furniture fire, but we're, we're balancing uh, the standard and using the Class A materials that are available and trying to figure out exactly how we can get it to at least look like a fire does um, inside the structure. And uh, we're doing some other things, too, like you got to restrict your water flow. Um, you want your nozzle reaction to be as close to, to real as possible in the hose to have the pressure on it. But if you restrict the, the water flow, obviously it takes longer um, to, to, to cool the environment and, and get the fire under control. And so that helps out too. So it's really no one thing, but, but the biggest thing right now is to identify what those fuel packages are and try to standardize that. Um, which is difficult because every type of burn building behaves a little bit different and you really have to learn how your building uh, behaves and what works and, and what doesn't. Um, we're using some ventilation, some forced ventilation uh, to, to make the, the fire grow and spread um, that would typically have been left to just the cramming more pallets and more pallets and more pallets. And that, that ends up creating a too hot environment that becomes unsafe and you can flash these burn buildings over, but, uh, um, the key is to get it to look as realistic as possible and behave uh, as realistic as possible, but not put the student in risk of all the uh, chemicals and stuff that are being released from furniture. All right, David Rhodes. Thanks for talking with us today. All right. Enjoyed it. And we put some more information on burn buildings and David Rhodes' business on our website at co3podcast.com slash burn buildings. All one word, burn buildings. Check it out. And now, 
Here comes your trivia question. What was good about the 1666 Great Fire of London that destroyed 80% of the city? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's the trivia answer. The 1666 Great Fire of London was helpful because while it destroyed 80% of the city, it also ended an outbreak of bubonic plague that killed more than 65,000 people the previous year. The fire fried the rats and the fleas that carried the plague-causing bacterium. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orn. Until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.